This list sucks, this list sucks, this list sucks, this list sucks, it sucks. Hooty hoo! Welcome back, everybody. It's This List Sucks. It's Friday night. I'm JB. I'm Mike. And we're here. We're, we're live. Yeah. We're live. We're together again. Reunited and it, it feels, feels so good. good. We have to sing yeah. it every time. I know, every yeah. time. We just need to get one of those. One <laughs> the put button. In. Yeah. Do you think we would get pulled from YouTube? If we had like a snippet of Reunited? If somebody figured it out that we had done it, then yes. But if we were able to fly under the radar, which I think we probably would. Who, Despite um, our huge high profile presence. I know. We are definitely <laughs> high profile. What? Um, who sang that song? Is that Dionne Warwick? I actually have no idea. Dion Warwick? <laughs> isn't that an actor? Isn't that the guy that... <laughs> no, that's Warwick Davis. <laughs> like, isn't that the guy that was in Harry Potter? Isn't that the guy from, from fucking Willow? Isn't that Willow? Yes, Dion Warwick. Exactly, yep. Dion Warwick as Willow. <laughs> Singing Reunited and it feels so good. <laughs> I want to see that remake. <laughs> With Dion Warwick as Willow. <laughs> Peck. Peck. Come here, Peck. She's like, I ain't no peck, motherfucker. <laughs> <laughs> that would be awesome. Uh, it, it is Friday, though. Yeah, it is Friday. It is Friday. You listening to music? No. I didn't either because I looked and there was nothing appealing to me. Well, did you? Okay, so what did you even see that was new music? Little, I don't even today? remember, but I will, I'll read it off because I had it. I, have, I think I still have it pulled up here. And this is, this is not a bitch by any stretch of the imagination, but what you, um, what Apple Music did today was Apple Music basically was putting up a bunch of music in celebration of Juneteenth because Juneteenth yeah. is now a holiday, which fucking rightfully so, how that wasn't a holiday decades ago. Shame on our entire fucked up government. Um, but it is now. And so Apple Music yeah, was putting a bunch of stuff like in celebration of Juneteenth up. And that's cool. They only listed like two new records. One of them was like music to celebrate Juneteenth, which I don't necessarily think is, I don't think of that as new music. And then, um, and then there was something else, but it wasn't appealing. Metacritic has four new albums released today. Okay. Um, one by Mickey Blanco. Hmm. Do you know who that is? Um, no. It's a rapper, <laughs> Southern California rapper. Um, and then Francis Lung, who mm-hmm. is the ex Wu Lif bassist. So, again, like I, I had no idea who that even is. No. Max Bloom Mm-mm. has a new, is the former Yuck frontman. Like, oh, I don't know who Yuck, Yuck is. Do you, know, do you know who that is? No. No. Okay. Yep. <laughs> I, you were pretty convincing that time. And then uh, a Nord. Uh, Kings of Convenience, mm. Peace or Love, the first full-length release for the Norwegian duo. Do you think those Norwegian fucks really love Kings of Leon and they were like, you know. Kings of Convenience. <laughs> could be. Could we be. could riff on that name, bro. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, none of it was like, I need to listen to that. There's been some things where. Do you think they have a song called Sex on Isle 3? <laughs> Or sex on <laughs> what is the song? Sex on sex on fire. on fire. I was gonna say sex on ice or something. That's a little too obvious. <laughs> sex. You don't have sex on aisle three. You go like you go a little further in. You go to like at least aisle eleven or twelve. I mean, wherever the prophylactics are, right? Because the presumption is is that you see those prophylactics and then it's just like, or you just go on. to the freezer aisle and. <laughs> The temperature you don't you don't have to worry about prophylactic it just it just cancels it just it yeah. just <laughs> is that a real thing yeah. kids everywhere listen kids don't listen to JB <laughs> that's not a real thing 
Well, it's just like all. it's just like from the movie Knocked Up. Like a girl can't get pregnant if she's on top. It's just gravity. You know? <laughs> Such a beautiful, beautiful movie. Um, one thing that we can talk about because it didn't like it hadn't happened yet last week was Record Store Day. Record Store Day. Let's go spend all our money at Record Store Day. JB did. Yeah, not all of it, but almost all of it. I didn't spend all my money on Record Store Day because um, in Texas, dude, Texas was really fucked up. So first of all, I was the closest record store to me was an hour and a half away because I'm in bumfuck Egypt, fucking um, South 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 Texas. Right. Which, listen, lovely town, and I really do love it a lot. But it's out in the middle of nowhere. Like it's a super small town. Not so close by. Yeah, so the closest ones were either in San Antonio or in Austin. And basically every record store in either one of those locations was doing a lottery. So you had to show up before record store day, put your name into a lottery, and then they were basically drawing names at random and allowing those people that they drew on a random basis into the store first. And so... So you had to come a different day, like before, or you you couldn't just come the morning? No. Okay. I mean, you could, because eventually they were going to just let the general population But there'd be nothing left. Yeah, exactly. You're going to get fucked. Yeah. So uh, our production manager, Justin Jantis, and myself, last weekend we went around to some record stores. And uh, there are a couple of big record stores here in Des Moines. Um two being owned by the same the same guy. And yep. we went over to one of them, which is called Vinyl Cup. So just for those Des Moines people listening. And there was a line, I mean, almost wrapped around the building. And, and that place is upstairs. So like Really? It went all the way out out the all the way from the from the upstairs, down the stairs, and to the side of the building. So it was packed and we were just like, we're not gonna get anything we want there at all. Yeah. So we went to another Des Moines record store, ZZZ Records, uh, which is around Ingersoll, really close to both of our houses, and uh, stopped in there. We're waiting in line for a while, got a sheet of the inventory that they had available, and they had, we were like, what we really want is like the dead record box set, and they were like, one copy. And we were like, <laughs> well, what else? You know what else we want is the doors. Maybe they have that. Two copies. And then we were like, oh, there's a notorious B.I.G. record. We might want to look at that. One copy. And we were like, Jesus. and so at, at some point I was like to the people in front of us like, hey, what are you guys getting? And they were like, oh, Doors and Notorious B.I.G. I was like, <laughs> let's get out of here. <laughs> so, so we decided to go to uh, another one downtown and we ended up getting everything we wanted. So that's was awesome. awesome. Was yeah. there no line at Mars? There was a line, but we probably were about... I want to say maybe 30th in line and we were still able to get everything we wanted. So we got there wow. about eight fifteen. they opened up at nine. And Dude, you know what a hot get was that I don't think vinyl cup or Marv's had a lot of, if I remember the inventory correctly, but it was like a big thing because I called a bunch of these record stores down in Texas to see if they would tell me how many copies they were getting of like of what? the grateful dead and stuff like that. Just to see if it was worth taking a gamble to like wait in the to line drive. or not. Yeah. And even to drive. Well, yeah. cause think about it. Like, because I was also asking them, Hey, do people line up pretty early? Like how early do people line up? Because, you know, one of the guys was like, yeah, people line up pretty early. I'm opening at 8.30. Like, I've seen people here at 5 before. And I'm just like, what the fuck, dude? Because this is an hour and a half away. So now I'm waking up at like 4 or 4.30 to try and get in line to get something. And so I'm like, you know, how many copies, like how many copies of the dead are you getting? And he's like, I can't tell you. It's against really? the record store day oath. And I was like, 
Oh, yeah. Yeah, I've heard that. <laughs> Weird, because all the ones that here were emailing out. Emailing the- inventories. <laughs> yeah. Exactly what they had. How many copies, like what location. And so, so yeah. So regardless, I just said fuck it. And, um, and luckily, you know, you guys were kind enough to wait in line twice, actually. Yeah, it was very short the second time. Yeah, so. but still, you were able to hook me up with what I wanted. And yes. I wanted Thelonious Monk and, and and obviously the Dead box set. Yeah, so there was a Dead box set released. It was basically, the Dead has a famous live album, Europe 72. And it was a, a show from that that, that 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 album was compiled from, basically. Yeah. Yep, it's the Olympia Paris May 3rd, is that right? That sounds right. Yeah, May third, nineteen seventy two. You got it. Um, I also picked up a Warren Zevon box set called Preludes, which is rare and unreleased recordings. Yep. Super exciting. Yep. Um, we both Justin and I picked up a Doors record, which is really interesting because it's like you see it. So there's not that many songs on the record. There's like probably twenty tracks and maybe four songs. You get like multiple takes of each song, and you kind of see the progression of the song in the studio. So that's pretty interesting. It is. Yeah. I'll be curious to see what you think about it and potentially borrow it from you. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, I know, um, I know my sister Heather went out and picked up a bunch of stuff. Like they were super excited. Oh, Joni Mitchell too. Don't forget Joni Mitchell. Joni Mitchell. Yep. I, I, Joni Mitchell. I did pick that up. Yep. And Heather and Ray got Joni Mitchell. Did too. they get that too? Yeah. What else did they get? Um, uh, they got the Roberta Flack release because there was a Roberta Flack release. Wow, I didn't see that. I th- well, no, maybe I'm full of shit. I thought but you started was. saying something. You said there was something that you really wanted, and then that's how you start. That's why you started talking about. You said there was a hot release, and then you said you started that you called the record stores, but then you never said what the release was. Oh no, I was I was calling them about the Grateful Dead. Oh. oh, no, no, no. Oh, I'm sorry. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. So, when I was calling these record stores, they were, like, jumping me off at the pass because I'm like, hey, how many copies of... And, like, two record stores both cut me off, and they're like, listen, if you're looking for this, we we don't have any, or we only have one. And it was that fucking cassette box set from Motley Crue. Oh, wow. It was, like, the first five Motley Crue studio releases, but they on were cassette. on cassette. And you wanted that. No, 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 no. I didn't want it. But what I'm saying was the guy at the record store assumed that yeah, that's why I you were calling. Also, yeah. So he's getting a lot of calls. A lot that of calls about that fucking cassette box. Wow. Yeah. Which I have to admit um, is fucking hilarious. That is hilarious. Because I think I had four of those cassettes when I was a child. Four Motley Crue cassettes? Oh, yeah. Nice. I had Shout at the Devil on tape. I go. had Girls, Girls, Girls on tape. I had Theater of Pain on tape. And I had Dr. Feelgood on tape. The only one that I was missing out of that box set as a child was Too Fast for Love, which I thought sucked. I Not mean, even like familiar. young Mike thought that that Little sucked. Mike was like, this is bullshit. Yeah. Grown up Mike still has a soft spot, especially for Theater of Pain and Girls, Girls, Girls. I have a soft spot for hair metal. In it's kind of fun. I mean, don't, yeah, I don't hate it by any means. But, but especially I'm not going like, to buy the cassette box, the the box cassette, especially <laughs> like the uber misogynistic version of hair metal that Motley Crue was, because Motley Crue was just about fast cars and fast girls. motorcycles and chicks. Yeah. What else is there? I mean, if you're in a hair metal band, I don't think there is anything. Yeah, else. you don't have much time to focus on anything else. I mean, honestly, if you want a really good time, you should definitely pull up a YouTube of the video for Girls, 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 because that's just fun. 
Looking and for those a good guys, time. Well, yeah, because when those guys made that video, they were like, hey, so we wrote this song basically all about strippers. What should we make the music video about? Oh, uh, I don't know. How about just a music <laughs> video the filled park, with strippers? Feeding the birds. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, listen. Oh, you son of a bitch. I was going to say, like, let's cheers Record Store Day. Cheers, like, Record Store Day. We all got what we I'll wanted. again. Me, thanks to you guys. Thank you guys. Absolutely. Mm. Um, there was also a, a, what I was curious if you were talking about was there was a Fela Kuti record that was released mm. and they didn't even have it at uh, they didn't even not they didn't even have it at Vinyl Cup or Marv's um, I saw we, that Fela Kuti we were in line at ZZZ like I said and they had like one copy but we no. went we went back later this is actually kind of funny we were total dicks to tell you the truth I feel bad about this <laughs> but uh we had already gone to to Marv's. The other ones. We did in line multiple we, times. Yeah. Maybe we had a drink before. I can't remember <laughs> if the drink was before or after this, but we drove by. We just drove up to ZZZ. There's like a line outside, and the, the proprietor of ZZZ standing outside at a desk. We just drive up, open out the window. We're like, yeah, Fela Cootie. Yell it out the window, and he's like, let me go check for you. <laughs> <laughs> And we're like, sweet, thanks. <laughs> <laughs> you dickheads. <laughs> and he goes over and checks, and then he's like, nope. And we're like, all right, see ya. <laughs> we drove <laughs> <laughs> We didn't think about it at the time. We're like, wow, we were that was a total asshole move, what we just did. That was so, a pretty dick move that yeah. we just pulled on that poor bastard. Definitely, yeah. Well, um, we got some hot takes this week. In fact, one we of the record store day releases we're going to get to, not first, but we will get to it second. Um, mm -hmm. And so we can talk about that then. But with that being said, what do you say? Let's dive in. I would love to. 345? Mm-hmm. Bruce Springsteen. The Wild, the Innocent, and the E Street Shuffle. Mm-hmm. Reeling from the commercial fizzle of his debut LP, Bruce Springsteen threw off the new Dylan baggage and applied his Jersey bar band skills to some of the funniest tunes he'd ever write. Rosalita, Kitty's Back, and the Boardwalk Love Song, 4th of July, Asbury Park, parenthetically, Sandy. The music is loose, jazzy, and full of ambition, a studio take on the live muscle that Springsteen was already famous for, and New York City Serenade is the first of Springsteen's epic street operas. I think I shared this with you already. <clears throat> So many people love Bruce Springsteen. Mm -hmm. Like, fucking love this guy. He's called the boss. Follow him around, like, see him multiple times, and I never understood why. Because, like, when I was growing up, my first memory of Bruce Springsteen was fucking born in the USA. And I thought to myself, man, that guy's, like, really old, and he's fucking weird, and he's singing this, like, bizarrely patriotic song that I couldn't connect to at all. Yeah. And so I was just like, yeah, fuck him. And I never got into it. And then, like, maybe five or six years ago, I was having a conversation with Lee Stamper where I'm like, dude, I don't fucking get Bruce Springsteen. And I feel like a dipshit because millions of people fucking love this guy, yeah. and I just don't get it. Yeah. Like, I don't get it at all. And and Lee Stamper's like, dude, I totally feel you. I'm the same way. Like, I don't fucking get it either. And I'm yeah. just like, man, there has to be, there's fucking got to be something that can get me to get Bruce Springsteen. It was this record? I fucking found it, dude. I, I totally fell in love with this record. Absolutely fell in love with this record. 
I'm not sure that I feel as strongly, but I feel the same way, but just, you know, uh, attenuated a little tiny bit. Okay. Um, which again, if I listen, I don't know how many times you listen to it. I probably only listen to it like two, three times, but, uh, if I listen Five? to it more, I, it, it stuff kind of grows on me Yeah. as you know, anybody else. But, uh, yeah, it was the same story. Like I was talking to Lee Stamper just last night actually. And, uh, he was like, his first reaction to seeing Bruce Springsteen on the list was like you. And I was like, you know what? That was kind of my first reaction too, just because of what I've heard of him. I wasn't super into, and you just, he's just so famous and, and you just kind of get this image in your head of Bruce Springsteen. Yeah. And he just, it's just a little cheesy to me. A lot of his mainstream stuff, a little gimmicky, almost not. Yeah. It's not the right word for it, but no, but what like literally what's burned in my head is like this guy who doesn't even appear to be able to move because he's got so many fucking bandanas wrapped around his neck and he's got like this tight denim jacket on and he can like barely like strum his guitar. While he's, he's like going vaulting up there. Yeah. In the USA. And I'm just like, God, fuck dude. Like take it easy. Calm down. Like, don't pass I don't, out. Yeah. I don't know what's happening, but this scares me a little bit. Yeah. And that's that's still what I think about when I think about Bruce Springsteen. I'm worried that he has a neck injury. But yeah, so and I encouraged Lee to listen to this because I was like, that's whatever I expected is not what I got on this. Even from the very very first track, the E Street Shuffle. That's I was like, hot, what the dude. fuck is this? It was it's like a funk jam. Yes. And that's funny because they use the word jazzy. Like Rolling Stone uses the words, they they say loose and jazzy. There's jazzy elements for sure, but I mean that specific song that was specific funk. song was super funky, dude. Yeah, like really, really funky. But this is, I guess, this was what I was always missing to me because a everybody knows this by now. If you've listened to any of these episodes, I'm a fucking sucker for horns, a huge sucker for horns, and this combines like everything that you want, like storytelling in the lyrics so like really really kind of fun songs to listen to you get a wonderful mix of horns and rock and then you get these different kind of you get other different genre elements that get mixed through right so funk is what you see in the e street shuffle but then you have you know much more of a ballady type song by the time that you get to new york serenade like what did they call it they called it an epic street street opera yes yeah but then you also have like wild bill's wild bill's circus story which is just so fucking goofy but it really works for me like i'm down because i had fun listening to the story and I actually really liked the mandolin on that. Yeah. And throughout the record, Bruce plays the mandolin. Oh, I didn't know. I, I, I didn't dig deep into the personnel because I didn't want to get lost in the E Street band. Because there's a lot of them, yeah. Yeah, there's a I think he plays the mandolin and he plays guitar, obviously. But there's some really legit mandolin parts on that song in particular. There's like a dual mandolin line. That That's a nice little folky ballad for sure. And yeah, like you said, storytelling. And another part musically that stuck out to me about that song in particular is that the there was no bass guitar. The, the tuba was tuba, playing the bass line. And yeah. actually, so that's where I was going to go. So I didn't make any note of the mandolin, but the tuba and the accordion on Wild Bill's Circus Story are fucking, they're great. And it's so bizarre because you don't expect to hear a tuba a playing the bass. A goddamn tuba, dude. But it's it was so like a crazy. tuba playing like... A traditional baseline. A baseline. Like a little boom, 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 boom. Like what you I expect know. to hear in like a country ballad. But it was the tuba playing it. Yeah. 
Um, Kitty's ball. I really, Kitty's really, back. or Kitty's back. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Um, I loved that. I can't one. read my own fucking handwriting. That's I run into that is. problem. Oh, so often throughout this podcast, but that's but, just a straight blues rocker, right? I mean, that's like a full on, just a, just a blues tune. Like that's all that is. Yes. Um, with, with some really cool, like timing changes that I liked a lot when it went to the chorus, it like totally changed timing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there was a really cool, bridge on this song yes and that kind of leads me to what really stuck out to me about this record was how great the instrumental sections were and how long they were yeah like for some reason when i thought bruce springsteen i was thinking singer songwritery but like kind of like a cheesier like uh almost like commercial worthy (laughs) um (laughs) you know uh version of singers like a chevy truck commercial singer songwriter shit yeah like makes you want to go out and build ford tough you know like (laughs) uh but uh it just, uh, it wasn't that. It really. wasn't that at yeah. all. And that's like, like I said, this one, I don't know how deep I'm going to dive into Bruce Springsteen's discography. I don't. You know what I mean? Like, I'm I think not, you'll get a chance I to go a little bit deeper. As I think we go I, further on the list. I think I will too. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to let the list inform me as to what I should start with. And then maybe use some of those titles to kind of meander off the beaten path a little bit. But I, I don't know. Like, this was, this album was so redemptive. I actually added this to my digital library wow. because this is something that, dude, I listened to it five times. I kept That's going nice. back to the well on this one because I enjoyed it so much. I liked it, but I did not add to the digital library. And I actually wanted to, I was hoping on Saturday afternoon on Record Store Day, like not to get a Record Store Day release, but to go into Waterloo Records. And I was hoping that I could find you a could reissue find this of one. this. Yeah. I would buy it if I could I'm find it too. It up. Yeah. I, w- I would buy it. Yeah. And I and I might even go out onto Discogs because something tells me that this is one that you can find on Discogs for like 10 bucks. 10 bucks. Yeah. For me, this is more one that if I, if I came across it. Used. I would buy it, but yeah. I'm not going to seek it out. Um. I probably would. But yeah, I did like it a lot more than I expected for sure. And like I said, just the instrumental, his band is really good. Dude, the E Street band is fucking money. Right? They are. And I liked how he said, or the, how sorry, how Rolling Stone said, um, a studio take on the live muscle that Springsteen was already famous for. Because that's kind of how I felt. I was like, damn, this band would be really good to see live. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I agree. Did you read anything about Rosalita? Um... Trying to see if I wrote any notes about it. I don't think so. Okay, so before we move on, I do want to tell this funny little story about Rosalita. So after this record came out, Rosalita became the go-to closer. Okay. Literally every fucking night. Every night. That's how they closed out the show. Because it was like this big fan favorite. It was a huge sing-along. Everybody loved it. And so he was doing it. He was doing it every night. Every fucking night he was closing the show with it. And it was something that everybody looked forward to. And they were just like, all ah, Gaga over it until one day, I think it was 1986. I don't know that I made, I don't know that I made um, that good of copious notes on it. Oh no. 1989. (laughs) Okay. So in 1989, he was just like, fuck this song. (laughs) Literally dude, like every show, Every single show they closed with Rosalita from 1973 up until well, he brought that on himself. Obviously, you're going to burn out. And then he was like, "Fuck this, never they, playing it again." And they basically never fucking played it again. They didn't play that song for 
um, fuck, it had to have been like 12 years and fans would like show up with these fucking signs to the show. Signs like Rosalina, bring Rosie out tonight. Oh, Let's geez. see Rosie tonight. <laughs> where's like, Rosie? Exactly. Like, to play. All of these kind of like where's Waldo fucking Rosalita signs for Jeez. over a decade before he finally fucking basically fans cajoled him into bringing it back. And he was like, all right. And now every once in a while you'll get a Rosalita. But that's yeah. definitely like a. Go figure after upbeat. 16 years. Yeah. He fucking burns himself out on a song. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I imagine, yeah, it just built up over the years, and then one day he's just like, I'm, I'm done forever. <laughs> he shows up to the stadium, and he's like, guys, tonight, we're fucking close with Born in the USA. And then Stevie Van Zandt's like, what? <gasps> Bruce, are you okay? Are you feeling well, yeah. sir? <laughs> Wait, which one's Stevie Van Zandt? He's a guitar player from The Sopranos. Okay, so that's, yeah, that's, I was wondering. That's who I thought it was. Yes. I didn't realize until last night that uh, Silvio from The Sopranos is in Bruce Springsteen's band. Is in Bruce Springsteen's band. I was like, like what? a big figure in Bruce Springsteen's band, I guess. too. I have, never, I have not followed Bruce Springsteen's band closely enough, but. Dude, you've clearly never watched a video of Bruce Springsteen's band. That's right. I have not. Because he's the guy that's always like, like, puts his. You know, like leans his back up against Bruce's back, and they're like playing guitar together because he's oh, a geez. rhythm guitar. Oh yeah, yeah, he's that guy. He's that fucking guy. Only he wears a only he wears a do rag because he wears a do rag. Surprise! He doesn't have hair. Oh. He he had hair in Sopranos. Silvio he? is fucking bald. Wow, I'm almost two well, Actually, I don't know that he's bald. That's definitely a fucking hairpiece in the Sopranos. Wow. <laughs> For sure, that's a hairpiece in The Sopranos. You know what Rosalita reminded me of was uh, Counting Crows. <laughs> oh. that, I don't mean it in, a bad, in a bad way. way. No. Okay. Okay. There, as long there, as it's not in a bad what's way. What's that one Counting Crows song? It's like, <laughs> Mr. Jones and Come me. on, come on, <laughs> jump a little higher. Well, I can't remember who that is. Jesus, but uh, I, or no, I can't remember what, name, what the name of that song is, but it's Counting Crows. And that song sounded just like that. So obviously, he was a huge influence on, on them. Obviously. Yeah. Listen, love to the record. Um, I will find I will find this motherfucker and I will own it on vinyl and I'll spin it a lot because I've already listened to it a lot on digital and I'm gonna keep going back to that well because I dug it. I like it, didn't feel as strongly as Mike. I will pick it up if I can if I happen to come across it at a low price. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's move Moving on. on. Three foe foe from nineteen seventy three Toots and the Maytals, their album Funky Kingston. Rolling Stone says, loose, funky, and exuberant, Kingston is the quintessential document of Jamaica's greatest act after Bob Marley. Showcasing some of the Maytow's best songs, Pressure Drop, later covered by The Clash, and borrowing from soul, pop, and gospel, Funky Kingston introduced the world to the great, to the great Toots Hibbert. He performs version of Louie Louie, and in a down-home surprise, John Denver's Take Me Home Country Roads. Fucking crushes that, by the way. Yes. Uh, with Toots changing the lyrics from West Virginia to West Jamaica. Oh um, yeah, we yeah we both absolutely adored this, right? Yeah, this is amazing. So this I feel totally different about from the last the last one. I'll buy this on vinyl. I'll seek this one out for sure. Like I'll be looking for Toots and the Maytal records next time I go to the record store. Now, are you gonna look for like anything from Toots, or are you just gonna look for this? I'm gonna look specifically for this, but if I see other stuff, I'll probably get it. You know? Yeah. Um, I kind of feel the same way. But here's the thing. So there were multiple tracks that I put like three and four stars next to on that Springsteen record. 
especially the first track, like the E Street Shuffle I put four stars next to. Really, really loved that track. On Toots, here's the thing. I didn't put more than, I don't think I put three stars next to, well, I did. I put three stars next to Funky Kingston, um, and that's it. But that doesn't mean that this wasn't enjoyable to me. That doesn't mean that I didn't like this. It's um, it's a really great reggae record. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But it's all like, it's not adventurous in any way in my mind. Like it doesn't not necessarily, but it's just like what you want to hear when you think reggae. Like it, it, it just kind of captures doubt. all the elements of just fucking amazing reggae. Like the vocal harmonies on it are insane. Yeah. The, the dual guitar players, the interplay between them is perfect. The songwriting is good for me. I put three stars next to four songs and I put four stars next to two songs. Ooh, which songs did you put four stars next to? I put four stars next to Louie Louie and pomps and pride. I loved Mm. both of those fantastic horns on on those it just this just felt so good to me and i was a sucker for the bass player i loved every line that he played on that entire he crushed yeah he was amazing the bass player crushed um i actually sent that song to one of my bass students and said uh we're gonna learn this one (laughs) (laughs) and uh Pomps and Pride, just yeah, again with the bass player, and I literally wrote next to this one. I wrote buying this vinyl for show. <laughs> so once I got to that one, and listen, I'm right there with you. My my only rub is just that because it's a great reggae record, it can't be anything more than that. Does that make sense? You think it's like limiting? Yeah, yeah, because reggae in and of itself to me is super it's super limiting you know there's no such thing as exploratory reggae yeah i mean it's pretty (laughs) there's not it's a little bit limiting yeah yeah i guess i never really thought about it that way but the sound is very listen (laughs) nobody ever surprises you by putting on a reggae record where you're like whoa is this reggae bro that doesn't ever happen yeah. Because you get the same sound from the guitar. You get the bass, like you might well, there get are a little specific bit specific elements that make it reggae. But I mean, I feel like you could make that argument about other genres. And I feel like there's certainly some variance within reggae. Maybe what other like, gen- albeit less one. than some other ones. Um, I think a lot of like pure punk has a lot of the same elements to it. Like I'm not talking about all the subgenres like pop punk or post punk or whatever. But if you're just talking like punk, there's a lot of similar elements there. Okay. There's no, room for interpretation, but so there's, so is there here. You know what I mean? Okay. But is there like a pop reggae versus like a, um, like a post well, yeah. I mean, there's reggae. certainly, there's certainly other like genres that have spawned like ska from reggae, but and ska is just that, right? Like ska is ska. It's not reggae. It's ska. It's like a subgenre of reggae, I would probably argue. Mm. And it, or I would have that argument that. with you. I'd have that argument with you. It certainly came from it. Without question. You know. But it also, like, it infused so many But you would other... say the same thing about other subgenres of punk, right? That it was, that that's exactly what they were, too. They took punk and they combined them with other elements of other genres. So I think it's the same situation. I... I 
I'm not disagreeing with you. I yeah. do think that reggae is a little more specific than it is. than most other genres. Yeah, and that so. But I'm just trying to. I just like reggae, so I'm I, trying to no <laughs> work Listen, around the argument. Stop. No, no, no. You don't. I don't. I don't think that you have to defend. You don't have to defend yourself. This fucking record is great. Yeah. Like absolutely great. I added this one to digital. I'm right there with you. Like I'm yeah. going to seek this out probably the same time that I buy Bruce Springsteen. If I have to go the Discogs route, like I'll buy this one in the same order. You know what I mean? So right. I'm not. And, and I love this dude. I really, really loved it. My only, the only, and this isn't even a critique. It's just an observation that reggae traditional reggae is self limiting. Yeah. Because as soon as it's not reggae, it's been called something else. So you know what I mean. And I just yeah, I, th- I think this is a, just an interesting conversation to have. So like, what are the to you? What are the things that make it reggae? Um. So the feel of the beat. Does that make sense to you? Yeah. Like the way that the instrumentation and the drums, like it kind of. Um, it drags the beat a little bit, yeah. you know, like it almost, it almost feels lazy, but it's like an intentional kind of lazy feel that gives it like, that's what gives it the heart, right? The guitars, um, the tone of a reggae guitar is almost ubiquitous, right? Like it doesn't change from band to band and it's a, like a really bright, it's like a, a really bright, yeah, kind of trebly scratchy guitar, um, you know, sometimes you get steel drums, but not all the time. And honestly, I think steel drums are trite. I don't think steel drums appeared at all on this no, record. Not that I you heard, know? at least. Um, standard bass tone. Like, there's no such thing as a fucking distorted bass in reggae. Well, you no, don't get but it. it's a little. I don't know if I would say it's pretty round. It's pretty tone is like rolled all the way off so it's almost like a little dubbier than standard bass would you agree with that yeah, yeah yeah absolutely and then you get and the only variation that you get in my mind is the vocals right whoever's providing the vocals bob's voice is unique i think toot's voice is pretty unique but what's not unique and uh actually i don't even want to go there like um yeah, that's that's gonna be the only variance that you get is tonality and vocals in my mind. It's definitely like a specific, yeah tonality and vocals. I do think that there is some room for variance in terms of just chord progressions and stuff like that. Although they tend to use a lot, uh, some people tend, but I mean that could be argued about any genre though. Correct, but, yeah. correct, right? Like you're not you're not gonna like of course chord progressions are gonna change and be different from song to song, from artist to artist. Like that's a given. But again, like, and that's where, and that's where it's not a knock, dude. Like, I don't yeah, want you to no. think that I'm being critical. About I don't think it. that at all. I just think, I just think it's an interesting conversation to have. So I think it is one we should, t- t- because should I, have. because I don't think that when you compare, you know, funky Kingston to, um, legalize it to, um, you know, if you want to do legend, you could do legend just cause that's the greatest hits from Bob Marley. But yeah, you know, you could pick any Bob Marley record and realistically, I don't think that, you know, if you compared all of those things, like the feel of the beat, right. The instrumentation relative to the drums, um, the tone of the bass, the tone of the guitar, 
The only variances in my mind that you're going to get are from a vocal standpoint. You know, I don't think that like, I don't, I don't necessarily know that any other thing that you're going to draw differences from between any of those like super traditional reggae artists. I mean, it's going to be kind of, it's going to be really like really, really specific when you say, Oh no, 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 no. Now this is totally different from what toots does to what Bob Marley does. You know yeah. what I mean? I think I you're going to see 95% of that sound and that feel is going to be ubiquitous. It's going to be there. That 5% variation, I think, is going to come primarily from vocals. Like, it's not going to come from song construction. It's not going to come from the feel of the beat relative to the instrumentation. It's just, it's reggae. Yeah. And that's not a bad thing. Like, no, it's not at all. I yeah. enjoy reggae, but you don't get a lot of exploration because the exploration within reggae is what spawned ska. Right. You know what I mean? Um, so other genres. Are, yeah. yeah. Um, other genres came from it. Like this is a godfather genre. To me, like the defining aspect of reggae is the absence of the one. Okay. Because that is what reggae is based on is the upbeat is mm -hmm. the emphasis like things like yep especially on the guitar so particularly with the guitar but even on the bass so the bass never plays on the one like listen uh, listen back okay. to like and that's a, something people don't realize very much listen back to like any of the bob marley tunes especially the real like because there are some bob marley tunes that while they may be reggae they don't like there are some sort of songs that just feel super reggae you know they just <laughs> yeah. like really have that for sure characteristic what you expect to hear when you think reggae yeah and the, it's just never the bass is just absent on the one and uh so it's it's interesting because i'm trying to figure out why it's limiting because i don't disagree that it is that it is limiting but i'm trying to figure out what it is about that because in my opinion that's really the what the like you mentioned some other things, but in my opinion, the big thing that makes it reggae is the absence of the one. And I'm trying to figure out, I guess it's just because it's such a you, unique feel and so and very few other genres really incorporate that. But uh, so it just kind of makes it maybe the fact that it's so unique makes it feel like it's like there's not a lot of room for exploration. But um, I remember actually uh, John Fishman, who's the drummer for me and one of me and Mike's favorite bands, Fish, uh, he was like, to do it talking about reggae drumming once and he was he was talking about how like if you write it out on paper it's just because the absence of the one it's just like blues drumming but just flipped it exactly upside down and he's like that's all it is is you just take blues drumming you flip it upside down and you have reggae <laughs> but yeah yeah that's interesting now all that being said um that's funny i i appreciate the fact that you enjoyed louis louis um I enjoyed Take Me Home Country Roads a lot more loved than I that one. Louis Louis. Yeah. I loved that one too. It was it was a more enjoyable cover for me than um than what Louis Louis was. Not that not that any of them were bad or anything along those lines, but um but the other one was um the John Denver cover was just fucking classic, man. Cause I didn't anticipate to hear that song, you know? At all. <laughs> Certainly yeah. not by a reggae artist. <laughs> Was Louie Louie a cover? Yeah, of course Louie Louie's a cover. Louie Louie. Oh, man. Who's that by original? Let me go. Fuck, I don't know. I'll, I'll, I'll use the Googler machine. Oh, Richard Berry. I found it. All right, there you go. I didn't even realize that, though. 
and made famous by the Kingston by the Kingsman. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep, 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 yep. But yeah, that Country Roads cover was, was super cool. It's so not classic. what you expected to hear at all, right? No, but I loved the reggae take on yeah, me Take Me Home. Yeah. Loved the reggae Loved take. the lyric changes, too. Mm-hmm. Almost heaven, West Jamaica. <laughs> <laughs> um, listen, I want to I want to get your feel for this, but and then I want to circle back to Springsteen on this, too. What? Um, obviously, we both liked it. We added it to digital. We're going to dig around for the vinyl. What do you think about the placement of this? I think it's good. I don't want to see it go down at all. I'll tell you the truth, just because I think that reggae is a super important genre. And again, I've never been about like, oh, we need to be inclusive and like include all these different genres just Mm -hmm. for the sake of including them. I think the best albums of all time are the best albums of all time. But I think that reggae albums belong to be on the list of the best albums of all time for sure. Yes. And I think that this one is a good representation of it. I think it's a fantastic representation. And I do think we're going to get, obviously we're going to get Bob Marley. Yeah. Um, Maybe top hundred for for like legend. What do you, do you think so, or you think yeah. you think two at top two hundred? Um, I'd take top one hundred for legend. I'd bet that too. Yeah, and and legend is one of the few that like that is undead. Like that's a greatest hits album, but that's a greatest hits album that I like. I'm not even gonna argue with should it be on this list because fuck yeah it should and it should be super super high. Even though I'm getting ready to shit all over a greatest hits album here in just, a, <laughs> just a minute. But what other, uh, what other reggae albums do you think will be on here? The only other one that I could think of would be legalize it from Peter Tosh. Peter Tosh. Yeah. I could see that being on here, but in terms of pure reggae, I don't know. I mean, we're going to probably get some sublime. Don't you think? But that's not really, not really reggae. No, I mean, it is reggae, but it's, it's more, that's ska. so weird though, dude. Yeah. Like that's ska. That's punk. punk. That's reggae. Yeah. That's do you think we dub. get sublime on here? Tell me this. What Sublime do you think we get on here? What album has all the songs? <laughs> I don't know. I don't really know a whole lot of like Sublime records. I just kind of listen to Sublime songs. I love Sublime. Or 40 Ounces of Freedom, right? Well, is would you get 40 Ounces of Freedom or would you get the self-titled record? Because the self-titled record definitely had way more radio hits on it. Um, I mean, it had their biggest song, right? What I Got. 40 ounces to freedom has smoke two joints. It has bad fish. It has Scarlet Begonia's cover. It Listen, has 40 ounces to freedom. Rape, KRS one 40 ounces to freedom is the better record. Like I will, I will happily admit that. But from a commercial standpoint, the self-titled, um, the posthumously released self-titled sublime album was way more, was wildly more successful yeah. than 40 ounces to freedom. So that has what I got wrong way, which is probably one of my personal favorite. I love wrong way. Yeah. I love Santeria too. It's got Santeria. It's got pawn shop. Caress me down doing time. It's a lot, dude. That's going to be on here. Don't you think? I don't know. I'm cause honestly, I'm if try not to look at the week, if cause it's going to say if it's on there, if either one of those records are on this list, I'm a little bit surprised that we haven't encountered one of them to be yeah. really honest with you, because we're starting to get And this was, you know, we've been talking about this over the past couple of weeks, but we're really starting to get into, I mean, we're starting to get into elevated, into elevated territory, really, really legit stuff. <laughs> Yeah, like we shouldn't encounter records that we're like, what the fuck is this? Yeah, we shouldn't feel that way. Not at all. Although we probably will. <laughs> yeah. But, yeah, we probably will. Because um, this list sucks. Okay, so I'm with you. Like, I'm good with Toots right where he's at. We didn't talk about that with Bruce, though. Yeah, what do you feel about that? I actually like the placement. 
Like, I don't, I don't hate it. I don't think that it's too low. I don't think that it's too high either. Like I'm, I'm good with this plus or minus 10 from where it's at. Like I'm solid with it. I could see it knocked down 30 or 40 and I wouldn't be upset about it. Just, I'm, yeah. I know we're going to get more Bruce Springsteen. We're going to get, what's the one born to born to run or something. Born to run. Yeah. yeah. We're going to get that for sure. Yep. And that's going to be high. Probably really fuck. high. Yeah. Yeah. So I could see that one go down a little bit, but I'm not like upset about it being where it is. Do you and think it we certainly get, belongs on there. Do you think we get born in the USA on this motherfucker? Probably. I bet that they're both on there. Yeah. See, now I, I've never listened to the entire record of born in the USA, but I'm going to tell you right now, it's too fucking high. If it's above this one. <laughs> yeah. I get you. And I know that's stupid, but whatever. Okay. Well, let's, uh, before we move on, let's read Rex's thoughts on both oh. Bruce Springsteen and Funky Kingston. Thank so, you, sir. Here's Rex on Bruce Springsteen. This fucking album is a motherfucking jewel. That's two F words in the first sentence. Love, love everything about E Street Shuffle. That was a surprising jam straight out of the gate. Agree with you there, Rex. Yep. This is a live, lively album that will get you dancing in the street. The song Rosalita just screams block parties playlist. Great album. Definitely a great spot for this album. So yeah, he nice. agrees with you 100%. Beautiful. And then Rex on Toots and the Maytals, Funky Kingston. Another fun album to listen to. Nice sounding horn section. Soul-filled vocals. I really dig their version of Louie Louie. It's a lot more laid back, and you can understand the lyrics. <laughs> There's a concept. It isn't as lively as the original. I think it's more of a party jam. Also, Country Roads is a pretty good cover of the John Denver classic. Good album should be closer to 400 than his current spot. Fascinating. So he's swippy-swapped. Yeah, swippy swapped your thoughts. That's right. Okay, should we move forward? You say anything else about those two? No, no, no. Because okay. we got to talk about this next one. We got some stuff to talk about here, huh? Yeah. Three forty three is Sly and the Family Stone greatest hits. Sly and the Family Stone created a musical utopia, an interracial group of men and women who blended funk, rock, and positive vibes. Sly Stone, the family mastermind, was one of the '60s most ambitious artists making up the hardest funk beats with hippie psychedelia on hits such as Thank You for Letting Me Be Mice Elf <laughs> Again. <laughs> Greatest hits ranges from gospel-style ballads, such as Everybody's a Star, to rump shakers like everyday people. Man alive. Um, first of all, I fucking hate Greatest Hits albums. <laughs> Damn it. Even though we just got done talking about how Legend is absolutely a greatest hits album, and I really, really Yeah, you said you wouldn't mind seeing that one on there. Listen, I'm going to see it on here, and I'll be super happy whenever I find it, because I already own it on vinyl. I love Legend, even though it's a greatest hits record. Um, But this one, (laughs) when, when I listened to the first half of a greatest hits album, from a really big band like Sly and the Family Stone, and I'm like, God damn, when are they going to get to the greatest hits? <laughs> That's a problem, right? So there were songs that you wanted to hear that weren't on here? There are songs that I heard on the first half of this record that it was the first time that, that I'd ever like. heard them. Yeah. No, it was the first time that I'd ever... This is It's fucking Sly and the Family Stone, right? Yeah. How does the A side of his greatest hits not have everyday people... How is that not one of the first three songs? Agreed. Especially, yeah, given like the timing. Uh, when was this released? In 1970. Yeah, I mean, like 
that was definitely a thought. Like they, these days, like A side, B side is almost not even a thought when you put out a record, dude. But but that back was then, a it was. serious yeah. thought. No, like, yeah, B sides sure. were just that. Like B sides were like, oh yeah, these fuckers recorded these songs too. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, the last song is definitely their biggest song, right? Yeah. Thank you for letting me be myself. Yeah. How is that not the very first track on this fucking on a record? Hits. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe they wanted it to, to make it kind of a journey where it ramped up as you went. <laughs> I mean, that's my only logical thought. But I, yeah, no, I agree with you 100% on that. It was really weird. Um, okay, so Dance to the Music is a phenomenal song. Everyday People is a mind-blowingly phenomenal song. Everyday and, People. Dude, that fucking song smashes. And then Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself is just... It's absurdly good. Most All, of this I thought was really good. Um, but yeah, I'm with you. Like there were a couple. You didn't know the first song? You no. knew the first song. No. I want to take you higher? I want to take you higher. No, not really. Wow. Yeah. See, I mean, that. I feel like that. that's definitely one that probably most people know. Yeah. Maybe not though. Yeah. Uh, I knew that one. Um, Did I you know Everybody's a Star? I don't think so. Stand? No. Life? I believe I knew Stand. I don't think I knew life, um, and I did not know fun. That's for sure. Yeah, I knew you could make it if you try, um, and of course I knew dance to the music and everyday people. But yeah, it is kind of a weird arrangement. The fact that a lot of these lesser known tunes are are in the beginning, which if you're, it's just a regular album, that makes sense. But being a greatest hits album, yeah. Now I do want to say this. I was talking with. Uh, Heather Barkley about this and Heather um, Heather found this on vinyl she found a used copy of it she picked it up like absolutely loves it and she said that on the vinyl uh, thank you for letting me be myself is the first song on the A side weird yeah or so, if it's a different version or something well your release I mean when I was looking at it on Apple Music like they were saying that this would that the one that I was listening to was the 1970 version which usually they stay true to the track listing on that that's what Spotify had as well I want to take you higher first now what I'm a little bit curious about is um uh, hang on I'm just I want to pull up Excuse me. I want to pull up what Wikipedia has in terms of... Because there could be a different release. Yeah. Correct. That's what I think we should look into. All right. So according to Wikipedia, the track listing for the 1970 version... Dude, same fucking thing. So they're saying that side one starts with, I want to take you higher, ends with, you can make it if you try. And the B side starts with, dance to the music, and ends with, thank you for letting me... Maybe Heather has some kind of weird bootleg copy or something. Heather, you might have a bootleg copy. <laughs> or maybe because I think she was looking at like a picture of the cover and maybe the picture of the cover just made it look a certain way. But um, Heather, like if you're watching on YouTube or when you listen to this or whenever, like I'll see you on Sunday, if nothing else. Actually, I'm going to I, I got to go to her house on Sunday, so I'm going to fucking look at this. I'm going to I'm going to you investigate and yeah, get back I am to going us. to get I'm going to do a personal investigation of this. We'll take photos too. Oh. Yeah. Evidence. We'll put them up on Facebook. We'll put them up on Facebook. Absolutely. Yeah, I'll see. Hopefully she's just hopefully she's just wrong and she was just looking at something goofy. Um either way, because I hate greatest hits albums, this um needs to fall by 115 slots. 
I know that's really specific, but it does need to fall 115 slots for me and then I'll be okay with it. But realistically, I would just as soon take this out entirely because Heather did confirm to me that this is three more, right? Yeah, there is more Sly and the Family Stone that we get. So I agree if there's three more and most especially if those other three have all of these fucking songs. Thank you. See, that's what I hate. Which we're almost guaranteed that that's going to fucking happen. If it's like a situation where none of the band's records are good enough or but but they have so many amazing one-hit songs that they're that they're that their greatest hits is just that impactful and we need to put that on the list. Okay. I can maybe get it, although I'm still not crazy about it. But if you're going to put the same songs, the same recordings of the same songs yeah. multiple times, fuck off. Fuck you. Yeah. Yep. And fuck so you. if that's the case, which I don't know that it is, but if that's the case, I want it off entirely. Yeah. You know, because this is literally taking the place of, you know, we're going to talk about Smashing Pumpkins here in a little bit, but Smashing Pumpkins was contemporary for Alice in Chains which yeah. doesn't fucking appear on this list, right? So Dirt could be here. Yeah, it could you know? be. Um, and Fl- The Flaming Lips, Yoshimi could be here. Yeah. And if Yoshimi was at 343, I'd be like, yeah, that's fuck. Yeah, that's about right. You and know? just to be 100% clear, I love Sly and the Family Stone. I do. I think they're amazing. And I'm I sure do you too. do too. I do too. Um, but I want to see their albums on here. I don't want to see a compilation. I mean, and this is... This is a little different because they probably compiled it themselves and it came out in 1970, but so it's not like it's a newer release or anything. No. But uh, yeah, again, if, it, if it's going to be the same songs, then I don't want to see it on here. And yeah. we'll, we'll, have to, we'll have to go back and revisit that later. Yeah. Well, whenever we get to their later releases later, later on yeah. the list, like we can jump back and we can compare and we can see because maybe this is the only way that we get everyday people. Because is that your favorite song? Let's talk. Let's talk favorites. Um, yeah. Everyday. Well, Everyday People is tied with Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself. I gave them both four stars because they're fucking jams. I gave Thank You for Letting Me Be Myself six stars. <laughs> That's the only song. You're breaking the paradigm, and I love it. I had to. I had to do it multiple times this week, really? okay? okay? Just because there were a couple songs that I was like, <laughs> yeah, I mean, there, there, there are just some songs, and I, maybe you can guess on what the other artist was that I gave multiple more than five stars to. But uh, it seems pretty obvious given the the list for this week. <laughs> but uh, I mean, thank you for letting me be myself. I think it's just one of the first of all one of the most classic funk bass lines of all time, hands down. Yeah, it's one of the first bass lines I teach to students when they start wanting to do slap bass. It's like one of the best ones to practice for that. The chorus is so fucking catchy on it. Yeah. Um, funky wah wah keys. Great horns. Like I wrote this song is damn near perfect for a funk song. I don't I don't disagree with you. The chorus though on Everyday People is get amazing. Get the fuck out of here, dude. Yeah, it's really like that really chorus good. is so ridiculously good. And it's even really just one fucking line, right? That's all Everyday it is. people. Ah, Everyday, Everyday people. people. That's all it is, right? That's right. That's it. It's so good though. And it's two minutes and 20 seconds. It's literally like the shortest motherfucker ever, but you can't argue with it. It's just, it's so good. It's so good. Yeah. But if we see it again, 
We're going to have... We're going to have problems. We're going to have problems. And speaking of that, let's read Rex's thoughts here, okay? Yes, please. Because right, you're going to laugh. <laughs> you're going to laugh hard. All right. Uh, Rex's first sentence. Apparently, Rolling Stone didn't receive Mike's email about greatest hits albums. <laughs> is this... Oh, no, they did not. And then he said, is this an album just like Endless Summer by the Beach Boys, where it's a compilation of singles from 45s? No, it's not. <laughs> uh, I want to tell this album to fuck off. I can't. This album is good. It's chock full of soul. The bull rush vocals of Sly Stone are just monolithic at times. Wow. Ooh, That's powerful. a descriptive word. Yeah. Another good album. I'm okay with its spot on the list. So, um, again. Sorry, Rexy. Well, if there's no other Sly, sure, I'm good with it. It could even move up, but there is more Sly. There's more. So. So. Yep. Okay. Um, Let's let's move on because we're getting ready. I think we're I think we're solidly in circle jerk territory at this point in time. So this is a week of firsts, man. So first of all, it's our first uh, our first reggae record. Yes, 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 yes. Right, absolutely. I think it is absolutely. And what else is it? The first (sighs) three forty two. We get our first record from the Beatles. Um, John, Paul, George, and Ringo from Liverpool from 1970. The Beatles. We're going <laughs> to, the Beatles. We're going to talk about Let It Be. Rolling Stone says, Let It Be is the sound of the world's biggest pop group at war with itself. John Lennon yep. is at his most acidic. George Harrison's I, Me, Mine is about the sin of pride. Only Paul McCartney sounds focused as if the title song were his personal survival mantra. The original concept was a live in the studio album and film begun in January 1969 that left the Beatles so weary that they abandoned the project to make Abbey Road. Phil Spector went back to the tapes later, sweetening ballads like Across the Universe and The Long and Winding Road. And fuck, fuck you, you, Rolling, Rolling Stone. Stone. He, Phil Spector went back and he completely faced Shit all over everything. <laughs> Like as much as he possibly could. Now, granted, he didn't face fuck all of it, but God damn it. Like, fuck you. Like he didn't sweeten a goddamn thing. Like that's, that's going to be one of the criminal. topics of conversation today. Jesus. For us. Yeah. Because first of all, let's point out and uh, without giving me specifics, I was told that we are over a hundred spots away from, from encountering our first Kanye record. Over a hundred? That's what I said. I thought you were going to say over a hundred from encountering the next Beatles. No. Did she give you any kind of indication as that? No. No, she didn't tell me when we were going to get the next. So the she that we're talking about, everybody, is Heather. Over a hundred from Kanye. Heather has the master spreadsheet, and and obviously her and I were... were (laughs) 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 So literally... 808s and Heartbreaks, which I'm assuming is the first Kanye record that we're going to get. Because if it's not, fuck you again, it's Rolling Stone. Jesus. No, fuck you. No, no, no. There's no fucking way. <laughs> Dude, Jesus is a masterwork. I actually found Jesus on vinyl when I was out in California. And God damn it, dude, that fucking well, record. Well, they better rips. fucking be a masterwork if they're in the top half of the 500 greatest albums of all time. Because this means that six Kanye records are in the top half if we're not going to get to to them for another hundred that's correct so it better fucking be a masterwork and if even if it was the bottom one still i mean it's that's not okay. saying anything bad about it all right um that's listen, nuts man i know 
thank you. It's fucking bonkers. But all that being said, we dude, there's so much to dig into here. So, um, so clearly this is now I did not break the paradigm. I did not give any song six stars. Broke the shit out of it. But this was a record that um I only gave two. Well, all right, let me say this. Um, dig it can dig right the fuck off because that's not even really a fucking song. Like that's just them fucking around in the studio. Um, well, there's a couple songs like that and they're not Maggie may is another one. Dig it, Maggie just, may. They're just silly. They're not supposed to be like, yeah, it was like, that was Phil Spector being like, Oh yeah, this is supposed to be the Beatles just hanging out in the studio. It's fucking dumb. Like I didn't like them, but I will also, and I need to, pre I feel like I need to preface all my comments with this was probably only like the second or third time that I've listened to this, this particular album. album. Yeah. Well, no, this version of the album, like I, listen, yeah. Yeah. Cause I've listened to, um, Paul and Ringo got together in 2003 and they oversaw a project where they went back and they basically recut all of the songs and actually added a monstrously important song in my opinion and they re-released it and they called let it be naked so what they did was they stripped out all of the bullshit that phil specter added in there it was just the tracks that the actual beatles recorded in the studio they remastered them you know as they thought the intention of the songs were and then they released it they called let it be naked so i've good. listened to let it be naked fucking hundreds of times it's like it's right up there for me man like that let it be naked is it sits up there with abbey road it sits up there with sergeant peppers i really really love a lot of what they did on this record and for anyone that has a problem with this record listen to let it be naked because I, I talked to some people this week that were like oh worst beatles record let it be because for me i wouldn't have even though maybe it's not my favorite record, I would not have expected to see this record as the lowest one on the list. I agree. I would have maybe thought, <sighs> for some reason I was thinking Revolver was going to be the lowest one on the mm. list. I would have said, and and this is going to sound so sacrilege, because it's got so many great songs on it, but Magical Mystery Tour, to me, is one that sits a little bit lower just because it's so whimsical. Yeah. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Um, it would not have been Let It Be for me. But anyways... So I had some people that they reacted the opposite of what I did. And they were like, oh, yeah, worst Beatles record. And I was like, listen to Let It Be Naked because it is totally different. The songs, they just feel so different. Especially, not every song feels that much different, but certain ones really, really do. Certain ones are so remarkably different. Yeah. Like, unbelievably so. When you listen to Across the Universe without, like, all of the bullshit strings, uh, when you listen to the, Wong, the Long and Windy Road, without all of that, bah, yeah. bah, bah, all like, those weird choir vocals that yeah. just don't even, they just feel like they take the, they take the focus. And that Long and Winding Road is one of the, one of the biggest examples of that. It just feels like it distract, it's distracting. It removes the intimacy from the song. There's no intimacy. You don't get that authenticity. You don't get that organicness of feeling like you're listening to the Beatles play a song that they wrote. Yeah. You get like, it's just kind of overproduced bullshit and it just doesn't come across as them. It comes no. across as Phil Spector. Yeah, exactly. And I feel the same way about the title track too. Like, yeah. let it be as the title track. When you strip away all of that crap that Phil Spector added in there, it is 
man, it's so fucking beautiful. Like it's just such it's an a amazing beautiful time. song. I mean, but that being said, it was all. I felt kind of funny taking notes on Let It Be. I was like, <laughs> I was like, <laughs> what are you gonna say? What am I possibly gonna say about Let It Be? I know. <laughs> am I no, gonna be like, hey guys, you know what? I listened really closely, and actually. This song fucking sucks. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are even have been thinking this whole time. I, I didn't know what to write. <laughs> I, I literally, so these are my notes for Let It Be. This is quintessential Beatles. What more to say? This is canon. Yeah. Like, to me, like, this is canon for the Beatles. Yeah. It's know? like one of the, probably one of the most famous rock songs of all time, right? Yeah. I, I mean, mean, like, yeah. yes. Um, I Me Mine, though, particularly the naked version of I Me Mine, um, when you think about what they were going through and when you think about what George was saying with that song lyrically, fuck me, dude. That song is powerful as shit, dude. Like, you know really what? powerful. I really love the lyrical aspect of that. And uh, I totally agree. Like, especially because George Harrison just kind of seems like this cool guy sitting in the corner, like, observing, like, these dumbasses fight each other, basically. <laughs> right? Yes. And he's exactly. like... Exactly. <laughs> bunch of selfish fucks and bunch of fucking assholes <laughs> but like other than that it's just the song itself was didn't speak that much to me personally like just the, the musical aspect of it the lyrics did 100 percent. yeah be clear. and that's, other than that it's just kind of a blues song you know yeah and that's the power the song um for me the resonation of it is just knowing the backstory of let it be knowing how acrimonious it was and the lyrics of that song, which George does that a lot for me. Like George hits me, like he hits me in the feels with like his lyrics. He's so thoughtful. So frequently, like just magically thoughtful. Yeah. So know? then I then I totally agree. Yeah. Um, but so Dig a Pony might Love be it. might be one of my favorite choruses of fucking all time. Like, all I want is, is you. God yes. damn, dude. Be <laughs> yeah. Jesus Christ, man. I love the build up to it. I love how Ugh. they like I love how the verse like builds up to the chorus and then it blue balls you and it goes back yes. to the, you know and it mean? just smashes right back to him. Yep. God uh, damn it. That's a great song. Fantastic. I have no fucking idea what the lyrics mean on that song. <laughs> neither do, do I. No, <laughs> neither anybody? do I. My favorite uh my favorite my favorite without question um is the verse where he starts with you know, let's roll a stony. Like, that's just such a, like, it's so fun and it's so clever to think about the Beatles just being like, you know what? Listen, let me just roll a joint. All right. Let me just, let me just roll a stony. For I do you. love that. It'll be But good. what does dig a pony mean? <laughs> Cause I have no idea. I have no idea either. I was like, is there something that I'm just a dumbass and I'm just missing out on here? And I, I don't understand the, what he's trying to say. And it's some deep meaning. It, I, no, I don't think so. I don't think you're missing anything. Um, I've got a feeling Love right. it. The classic is two chords. Oh, hey, speaking. <sighs> yeah. Listen, go wherever you want to go. Dude. Well, I was like, almost thinking this is just a conversation that maybe we can just have off the podcast. But we do have a couple of fish fans that are listening in to, oh. uh, to the podcast. That is almost the exact guitar part that starts this song as Prince Caspian. And you could say that about a lot of songs because it's just a one four, but like, it's almost exactly oh, the same thing. Okay. <laughs> so right. like almost note for note, rhythmically, it's exactly the same. Nice. It's basically like Trey Anastasio just straight up rifted off. <laughs> I got to feel it. And then just change the words and the feel <laughs> of the song. <laughs> and I don't hate that. 
I don't, I don't either. It. I'm not bad about it, yeah. but it just, I was just like, I, I, I remember reading that like uh, years ago. I was like on a thread about songs that were ripping off other songs, and someone was like, Fish, Prince Caspian, it's just, I got a feeling. And so ever, this is like years ago. Ever since then, I've known that. <laughs> okay, so if you strip out Dig It and Maggie Mae, which fuck you, Phil, like fuck you for putting them on this, on your bullshit version of this record. Um, what, let's go with your least favorite. Like, what are your least favorite? Least favorite know, other than? Other than Maggie Mae and Dig It, because those are just stupid. One after nine or nine. songs. Okay. And not that I didn't like it, because I like almost all the other songs. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, it's just a straight-up blues. It's, it's a blues it, romp. It's, it's got some good soloing on it, and they do it really well, but it's not, like, I like the rest of them more. You know, yeah. My least favorite was probably for uh, for you blue, because see, I was th- that was what I was thinking, but I liked that one more than one after nine hundred nine. Uh, I liked the falsetto vocals on that. Yeah, that was a fun one. I, can't I love with you. I love get back that in ter- terms of like bluesy Beatles. Oh yeah, dude, it's really good to me. Get it's like back. right up there with come together on Abbey Road. Amazing single or amazing chorus is what yeah. I'm gonna say. You know, um, yeah, so good. Uh, what was your favorite song other than Let It Be? <laughs> okay. Um, do I have to stay with songs from this record? Because Are you going to pick Don't Let Me Down? Dude, in all honesty, like in all honesty, Don't Let Me Down might be my favorite track on this entire record. That was from another record though, right? I don't know. Like, I couldn't figure that out. I couldn't figure out if the Beatles had released Don't Let Me Down outside. I'm pretty sure they did, and I think for some reason he they decided. I was confused why it was on this album, because I thought it was from a different one. I'm looking that up. You, I don't think that it was. I don't think that it was ever commercially released on something else. Recorded during the Let It Be sessions. But never, that is a crime, never released. Dude. Then yeah, thank you. Right? I mean, I feel like an asshole saying that, but dude, that song. And if you and if you've never heard "Don't Let Me Down," goddamn you, go out, listen to it. It's only according to what JB can find on the interwebs. You can only find it on "Let It Be Naked." Well, it was released as a B side to "Get Back." Okay, so it was so it was on the single for "Get Back." Is that right? And then <laughs> say it again. So that was released as a forty-five. Get back yes, on one correct. side. Don't let me down on the but other. But guess whose decision it was to drop? Don't let me down. Fuck you, Phil Spector. Indeed, dude. Fuck that you, song is that song is so magically good. There are so many songs that I would have dropped from this record before Don't Let Me Down. Before Don't Let Almost Me Down. Almost any song other than <laughs> Let know. It Be or Long and Winding Road. I mean, I maybe would have even dropped Across the Universe Across as much universe. as I love Across the Universe. Listen. Don't Let Me Down is incredible. It's ridiculous. It's an amazing song. It's, so, it's a journey. It's so, so good. And on Let It Be <clears throat> Naked, the way that those tracks play out, if I remember correctly... It um that song comes right after I've got a feeling. Yeah, it, because it's a different order. The Let It Be Naked is not the same order. Totally. So Let It Be Naked opens with Get Back. Yeah, which is so wonderful because like 
just the ding, 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 and it just like it really kind of drives you into it. Yeah, like it gets it it gets you into it in a different way because I think it goes um, get back, dig a pony, and then into for uh, for you blue. I think is the way that let it be naked track order goes, but it's just it's a far more sensible tracking order just in terms of like kind of emotional tide and like the way that the album flows. I love it so much more largely because I've listened to it so much more than what I've listened to this particular album. But on that record, I'm pretty sure you go from, I've got a feeling, which is this like really big exuberant kind of rocker into don't let me down, which is dude, it, that, that, that track has so much weight to Such it. Such an amazing guitar part, too. A beautiful. I mean, I teach that one a lot. To say do the you truth. really? Oh yeah. Oh man. I perform I love that it, one dude. too when I play gigs. That's the one of my. Yeah, we do. I really. I love that song. Yeah, I'm right there with you. Like I would, <laughs> if I had to pick things to dump, like I would dump just about everything outside of "Let It Be" and "Long and Winding Road." Maybe we should th- see if it. We should think of it as a blessing. Because then we didn't get fucking Phil Spector's Wallace Sound version of oh, Don't Let Jesus Me Down. Oh, Jesus Christ. He would have fucked. He would have fucked that maybe, sh- thing in the ass. You know maybe, what I mean? Maybe that's why he didn't do it. It's because he couldn't figure out how to fuck that song up because it was so good. He was just like, you know what? I'll, fuck, I'll show them. I won't even put it on this son of a bitch. Fuck this song. I'm going to give him Dig It and Maggie May. It'll be perfect. What a weird decision he made. He's like, yeah, dig it, yeah, put it on there, it, yeah, <laughs> but but no, but no, to don't let me down, yeah, <laughs> it's ridiculous. Um, don't let me down is ridiculous. Um, but yeah, I, dude, this. Okay, so I already own the vinyl. Let's talk and, about wa- long and winding road real quick. Okay, because yeah. What do you Let's think do about it. that song? It's it, I five stars. I think, so and I also, by the way, so I put five stars next to it, and then I put in parentheses, naked or nothing, because. They fuck that one if up. If you're only going to give me Phil Spector's version, I don't even want it. I don't want any part of it. Yeah. See, like I had a like the the same person that was was telling me that that let it be was their least favorite Beatles record said they don't like Lonnie Running Road, which I think is a totally valid opinion based on the version that's on the record. So I'm going to encourage them to listen to you the naked to. version, but you have to. I love the melody so much that I can even stomach the Phil Spector version. I don't; it's not my preference or anything. But uh, also, that one starts off. The wall elements are not terrible at the beginning, and then it just kind of progressively gets more offensive as it goes. <laughs> so, and it, it, by the end, you're just like so assaulted, and it's just here's like, the here's the thing though. As a person that's listened to the naked version hundreds of times and only listen to this version a couple of times when you get that very like the very top of the song the long and winding to get that like right at the top it is fuck it's terrible i like i'm whoever it is that's like i fucking hate that song i'm right there with you which is why i put it's naked or nothing. Because I prefer that piano. Just dun 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 dun. It's it's beautiful. And just the piano. voice, like voice, the voice and the piano. It's Let beautiful. that melody go, and it becomes so vulnerable and so powerful that when you put this giant cacophony of fucking orchestra behind it, Phil was like, "Oh, this is big. This is great. You don't want it to be big." 
You fuck. You don't. You don't want <laughs> to me. Any that's of a that song that would have been just fine with literally piano and vocal, nothing else. Correct. So. Absolutely correct. But yeah, uh, talk about breaking the paradigm. There were two the two songs that I wrote more than five stars on were "Let It Be" and "Long and Winding Road." Yeah, and I mean, I wrote. I don't even doesn't even matter what number I wrote at that point. It was just like an arbitrary number. <laughs> I was just like. 13, 28 38. stars. Yeah, it doesn't make any difference. <laughs> a bunch of fucking stars. That's right. You know? <laughs> and, um, and I mean, what I wrote, what I wrote on there is that my last sentence says, this version is criminal, but the naked version I wrote is near perfect. Like, it's almost a perfect fucking song when you strip out all of that goofy, fucking stupid, dumb shit. Unnecessary shit. Yeah. Yeah, that song is amazing. It's incredible. Okay, so realistically, Rolling Stone fucked up twofold. Um, you never should have put this version of this record on this list unequivocally. And that's not even an... I don't even think you can argue that. Because again, anybody that says, yeah, this is the worst Beatles record, go and listen to the naked version and come talk to me. Because if you still think that this is the worst Beatles record after you hear just the Beatles, let's talk, right? Because I really want to hear why you feel that way. And then why the fuck did Rolling Stone put this version on? It should have been Let It Be Naked. And it should have been, fuck, man, 200 higher than this. The naked version. 200 higher. 150? Yeah. I could buy Let It Be Naked at 150. Think about the songs that are on this record, dude. No, I'm with you. Yeah. Even Even if you only had... Don't let me down. Let it be long and winding road across the universe. That's just, I was almost taking it back. That's the biggest jump we've ever suggested. You know what I mean? But I think that it's, but it's absolutely deserved. Yep. I'm with you. 150 for those. If the record, I'm cool. 200 dude. If the record only had those four songs. Yeah. Don't let me down. Let it be across the universe. Long and winding road. I'd be like, well, yeah, I mean, it's got those four songs. I'm cool with the 200 jump. It's crazy. Yep. Absolutely, yeah. I can't wait to get to eight oh eight around like one forty. Yeah, you know. Yeah, I'm I can't cool wait. I can't wait to get to eight oh eights and heartbreaks because we're gonna realize how wrong we were. <laughs> you think so? Fuck off. Maybe. Crazy. Maybe. Okay. Moving on, or yeah. let's read Rex real quick. Yeah. So Rex, do. let it be. Oh yes, finally a Beatles album. In my opinion, Let It Be is the final Beatles sound album. It isn't the most famous of the discography, but it's one of my favorites with Across the Universe being my personal favorite song on this album. And I don't know why. It's a good album. I don't know how I feel about its placement on the list. I'm good either way. Mm. So I'm not trying to say a whole lot Rex. about it, but he likes it. Um, he needs to listen to the naked version. Rex, go listen to the naked version and then report back to me. But I'm with him on Across the Universe. That's an amazing song. Actually, Rex... Um, go listen to the naked version and then take five minutes to report back to the podcast on your send us an email. Uh, yeah. Yes. Like include that in your reviews for next week. I just want to know, like, I want to know if it changes your mind dramatically or if you say, fuck off, Mike, it's basically the same record and I feel the same way. I'm curious. Inquiring minds want to know. Yep. Mine as well. Okay. Moving on. Yes. Let's do it. 341 is the Smashing Pumpkins Siamese Dream from 1993. Get lower and lower as I go. <laughs> All these alternative bands today are so high up on their punk rock horse that they're in denial about being huge and playing big shows. 
Billy Corgan told Rolling Stone in 1994, not oh. only do we respect the cliches, we see the truth in them. Wow. It's pretty self-aware. Fucking Billy Corgan. On their second disc, the Pumpkins pushed further from 90s alt-rock to a grander orchestrated sound with multiple guitar parts. <laughs> multiple. <laughs> uh, strings and a Mellotron. Alt-rock ended up following the band on its trip. Siamese Dream is packed with hits such as Share a Brock and Today. Dude, that's almost criminal that they fuck that. I don't know. That seems like the weirdest fucking description for a record like this. Does, I mean, listen, I love the top part because I didn't, you know, I, this is the first time that I've heard it. Like, I didn't read this before as listening to the record, but Me neither. obviously both you and I dug kind of deep into what was going on when they recorded this record. And I love the fact that Billy Corgan was just like really, really conscientious about like what grunge was pretending to be. And clearly yeah. like he was and like, super accept what you are, you know? Yeah. Like I said, uh, accept what you are, realize the reality of the situation. Don't fucking pretend to be something you're to not. To be something that you're not right. Because clearly he wasn't, you yeah. know? And I, and, and I like the fact that he was calling out, um, all of those other acts, but at the same time, give me a fucking break, dude. Like Cherub Rock and today. Yeah, they were, um, today was absolutely the biggest hit from this disc. Which, when Today were you born again? Were you born in 1992 or 1991? I was born in 1991. Yeah. You loved Today. That made you smile. I liked it. Trust me. No, but I mean like as a baby. As a baby, I liked yeah, Today. Yeah, yeah. I thought you meant Today. Dude, no, 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 no. Your mom and dad played you that you song? Meant today, I didn't and like And you were today, like, you're like. Back then, I liked Today. Yesterday, yeah, you, Today. Dude, you were like more super yesterday. happy baby. Yeah. Yeah. Even at two, like when your parents played this shit, like this was like one of those songs that you would like run around and be like, they'd be like, oh, fucking it's fucking Jamie. It's so cute. <laughs> He's so cute. He loves this. He fucking loves this song. Probably. Yeah. Your parents yeah. totally did that. I could see it. And you totally love this song. Yeah. Because it was that good. Yeah. It's a great song. Uh, not my favorite on the record, but I did like that song. Ooh, I want to start there. What was your favorite track on this record? Soma. Or Soma or Silverfuck. Um, although I did, like, in terms of accessibility, the very first track was incredible. Sherebrock is nuts, dude. Yes. Like, that. that's an incredible starting song. Yep. Dive right into it. Uh, love the vocals throughout this entire record. Whatever technique he's fucking using. First of all, I love his voice. Yeah. He has a great voice. But yeah. he's, like, there's more than that. He's, like, overlaying his vocals multiple times. There's did like, you read that? No, was but he, you can just hear it. Right. Well, so what I wrestle with is, was he laying down multiple tracks or was he using some type of reverb or chorus effect on a single vocal layer? Could very well. I don't think so, though, because I think it's based on. Let me explain why I think that. Yeah. Based on later in the record, there there were some songs that had just an asinine number of guitar tracks. Okay. Uh, Soma, like I talked about, had 40 guitar tracks, 40 recorded. guitar cuts. Yeah. Uh, I read that there was one song. It didn't say which one that had more than a hundred yeah. tracks of guitar. Yeah. Okay. So, and the reason for that was that Billy Corgan wanted to do it all organically. He didn't want to put weird effects on there. So based on that, I think that maybe he would have probably done the same thing with the vocals. 
You know what I mean? I mean, that's entirely possible. I wouldn't I wouldn't put it past him by any stretch of the imagination, but at the same time, um at the same time I feel like you'd be able to hear it. You know, because because typically when an artist does like multiple takes on the vocals, you can you can hear the the variations. You well, know what I mean? It's like the same track doubled up and put a slight panning effect on. Okay. But yeah. I, I think so in that, other words, he's not intentionally trying to sing in a different octave or in a different he's not trying to create a harmony with two different tracks. He's literally no. singing the exact same track, but maybe putting a little bit of a phase between one and yeah, the other. Yeah, that's what it is, is, a little phase difference. And I think there's a chance that he did record multiple tracks, but that he sang the exact same part. You know what I mean? <laughs> yes. And that he overlaid them together. That's what it sounds like to me. Um, Whatever it is, I fucking love it. It works so well. Yeah, it works unbelievably well, especially with the guitars. And the guitars feel like the exact same thing, right? It feels to me... And this is not true across the board, but... So many of these songs feel like multiple tracks were recorded of the same riff, but then whenever they mixed them all together, they just did like a slight phase change between each of them to create this giant fucking guitar sound. Yeah. And to me, like the notes that I made throughout this is the the overdrive to me sounds unique. I don't think that, I don't I don't think it has anything to do with the overdrive. I really don't like. I think that it's all of these all the different tracks. tracks that just get mashed. And they up just together. make some weird sounds. They just make things that like like if you ever listen to this record, and you're like, what the fuck is that sound? It's a guitar, and they're just doing something <laughs> weird with it. You know what I mean? Like like yes. they 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 put they fucking took fifty guitars and compressed them to the point that you could barely even distinguish what it even is. Yeah, and then they fucking added a bunch of effects to it, and they're like. Let's see what happens at this point. <laughs> when we do this, and you to us, we're like, "What is that? Nothing that I've ever heard makes that sound." And, and they're like, "That's thirty guitars. That's thirty guitars <laughs> yeah. all mashed together." Yeah. Um, so, a couple of things that I think are worth noting when you listen to this record, because even a casual like non Smashing Pumpkins fan could listen to this and they could be like, "I mean, yeah, it's fine, dude. Like, it's it's fine. I don't know if it's one of the greatest records of all time, but it's fine." Um, a couple of things, right? A Billy Corgan was like suicidally depressed, um, throughout the entire recording of this album. Um, and you, and you get a lot of that in the vocals, like the lyrics on this record for the most part are really kind of dark. Some of them are, some of them are beautiful. And I really, really love some of the things that he says, but so many of these songs just have really immensely dark lyricism, um, that kind of represent where his head was at the time. You also have drummer Jimmy Chamberlain basically in the throes of fucking tremendous heroin addiction to the point that that dude would just disappear for like weeks at a time where the other band members didn't know if he was dead, if he was alive, if he was ever going to come back. And then he would just show up and he would throw down some more tracks. Um, Billy Corgan apparently reported uh, recorded a number of the bass tracks on here because... Um, bass player Darcy just wasn't either capable of doing what he wanted her to do or he just thought that he could fucking do it better. So it was almost like this emotional implosion of this band, which led to um, the recording went way fucking over budget, 
by I think like a quarter of a million dollars over budget. It went over time by three or six months or something like that, longer than what it was supposed to take in recording. But listen, the end product, they sold fucking millions of records. It probably evened out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, this this ended up being a monster hit for the label. Yeah. I can't remember if it was Interscope or who the label was, but either way, regardless of how pissed off they may have been when they didn't make it by deadline, when they fucking came in like supremely over budget, there's no way they were pissed. Um, you know, two years after the fact, right? Yeah. Definitely. Butch Vig also, um, of garbage fame, um, drummer for garbage and Butch Vig also produced Nevermind, I believe. And a bunch of other like really, really big, um, alternative albums from the 1990s. He was also the yeah, producer. producer never mind. Yeah. I'm looking at him right now. So shout out to Butch Vig because clearly like that dude was able to wrangle some, some really fucking challenging crazy. Characters. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And make some magic. Yeah. I can't imagine. Um, <laughs> listen, I'm right there with you though. Soma is, Soma's um, incredible. It's, it's an obscene cut. I loved mayonnaise. Mayonnaise is fun. Mayonnaise it's, is fucking magic to me. Um, so one thing that really hit me on mayonnaise, and even like the first song, is like th- this is like what what kind of genre would you call this? Like alternative rock. But it's such a broad. It's like a cop out almost when you hear someone say alternative rock, dude. It's, but what else do you call it? You know. I mean, I would almost call this alternative art music. Does that make art sense? Art rock or art grunge? Art grunge. It's like art grunge. Because but, it uh, is, dude. Like, they knew that they were making something that was almost theatrical in nature. They knew what they were doing. Yeah. And they were doing that with intention, which is where I think you have to get, like, that... Whatever you're going to call it. Like, art grunge might be the best. I like that term, yeah. Because it's definitely grunge. But it's got like this insanely theatrical nature to it. It does, but but it's not hokey and it's not campy. Like it's it not at all. Fucking works. The other thing that really sticks out to me about it, though, is what I was gonna say is that I feel like music of this genre doesn't usually groove, and this like really grooves. Like you, I feel like I it can finds dance. Pockets. You can dance to it. Yeah, dude. There's like normally in like here. when I listen to. Uh, no hate to least tamper whatsoever. I love, I like pavement a lot, but I couldn't dance necessarily no, to pavement. No. You know what I mean? No. Um, and, and like to that extent, like even like bands like Nirvana, I mean like I love the music, but I don't know if I'm going to dance to it necessarily. But this, I feel like I can really like get into a groove of bobbing my head to a lot of these songs. Oh yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, you can like, you can shift your shoulders and, and it's one of those things that when they slip into that, man, it's so fun. But, and especially on the back half of the album, like the back half of the album to me is where most of the magic happens because you get these, I'm going to call them danceable grooves, right? That they fall into where it's, it's super grungy, like really, really grungy. Greek USA or geek USA does this. Um, Soma does this silver fuck really does it right. Like silver fuck is where you get these like big giant, like thick, chunky, um, jammy, dancey, grunge riffs but then all of a sudden like they just it drops away completely and you you feel like you're falling into space literally it's it's super psychedelic it's Um, so fucking cool silver fuck was one of the two tunes that i gave five stars to 
Yeah. So that was one of my five star tunes. Um, and I actually, I was texting our friend Lee Stamper last night and I was like, fuck, put some head, good headphones on, listen to that. Oh, there's man. this one specific you part. You get so lost. You get super lost. It's really long. First of all, it's like nine minutes long yeah. or something. Yeah. But there's this crazy breakdown that for the longest time is just the bass guitar and a little tiny bit of drums. Okay. Yep. For like at least two or three minutes. And then all of a sudden, after like three minutes, the guitar just goes and like strums this chord. Yes. And at some point when that happens, I was just like, I like got chills. I was like, what just happened? And it was just like a simple guitar chord. But I was like, that was so perfect. That was like one of my most favorite moments of this entire record is when yeah. the guitar strummed that chord after that long break. The absence. Yeah. <laughs> So good. And you get a lot of that on the back half of this record. Like you get an absolute ton of this, like I was saying, like this weird, insane kind of danciness that just drops you out into the middle of space. And it feels like you can just kind of float around in space and it's enhanced with Corgan's vocals, right? Yeah. Because especially when you get into that spaciness, he has like this almost... This is going to sound so stupid. He's got this dreamy quality to it's not, his it's voice. It's not stupid at all. It's like dreamy and ethereal. It's like, it's hard to put word, put it into words. It's so unique. But especially, and you nailed it. Like, it's, you got to put headphones on so that you can kind of tune everything else out and just let yourself go into the world that Billy Corgan is creating with sound. His voice is almost like borderline feminine at times. You yeah, know what I mean by that. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. But I, I, I love whatever he's doing. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um. Okay. So, I already had this as part of my digital. Um, I added it. Yeah, and it, I would love it on vinyl if they have it. I, don't know. I would too. Um. I, I can't say that I've seen this on. I don't know that I've ever seen this on vinyl. And if I have, it may have been like priced so ridiculously that I was like, oh fuck that. But honestly, at this point in time, especially after revisiting it this week, multiple times over, I probably listened to this record four times this week. Yeah. Um, yeah. The next time that I find it on vinyl, I'm absolutely going to, I'm absolutely going to get it. I'm all in again. What, yep. what do you say placement wise? I like it. You like I'm it happy. where it's at? You want it higher? I mean, so interestingly enough, we haven't encountered Soundgarden yet. Maybe we will. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We didn't get Allison Chains. I know. But Speaking of that, there were Allison Chains. This album is that. I mean, like I, I heard so much Allison. Oh, Chains you here. think so? Why? Big time in the guitars, and and especially in like the, the there are many. Not to just reverse. I know we were kind of done talking about it, but uh, that just made <laughs> me think about like how much I heard. Like Alice, I think I was texting. Uh, Lee Stamper last night about this. I was like Allison Chains plus like '90s alt rock, but I can't remember what I specifically <laughs> said. But it's like a it's like a like a like a '90s alt rock version of Alice in Chains. Like to like me, the, Alice in Chains is way closer to metal. There's a lot of metal elements here. There are several songs that I would argue are metal. Are uh, and even if you look on Smashing Pumpkins on Wikipedia, they are that's one of their genres. Oh fuck. Fuck you, Wikipedia. <laughs> I mean, they become more metal. I think. I think they get cl they get more metal tangent later in. I, I mean, mean, even if you look on tracks, this album on Wikipedia, it it says it says metal. Uh, um, but I hate it, that. 
Really? Because I, I don't know. There's a couple. I don't think that's the prevalent in every song. But there's there's five or six songs that I think if I was like, listen, metal, you'd be like, yeah. Okay. okay so so here's my best argument against calling this metal in any fashion and calling Alice in Chains much more metal adjacent, if not much metal, more metal entirely. for sure. But I think these guys are influenced by that. Is what I'm saying. Guitar tone alone, like Jerry Cantrell, his guitar tone is unequivocal metal. Right, like it's a super standard, like super overdrive tone to his pedal, and you don't get that here. Like even when you get the overdriven guitar here, because you're getting 38 different cuts of the overdriven guitar, it sounds just it sounds thick. Yeah, it sounds so thick and I'm gonna say muddy, but not in a bad way. No, it's shoegazy muddy. Yes, that's what it is. Shoegaze. Yeah. shoegaze it's shoegaze yeah it's shoegazy muddy you know which to me metal adjacent maybe but to me this is more adjacent to alt than what it is well that makes metal. me excited because if you like the shoegaziness of it um because you weren't familiar with loveless by my bloody valentine are you no not at all because that's going to be on this list that's going to be fucking high on this list it's going to okay. be like top 200 maybe top 150 Wow. So is it reminiscent of this? Is that what this reminded you of? <laughs> yeah. Oh yeah. Dude, that does get Especially me excited. Especially in terms then. of the guitar. You're gonna like yeah, it you're gonna like this. Yeah, you're that gets like me that. super excited. Yep. Um yeah, listen, if this moved up fifty, I wouldn't I wouldn't be sad at all and I would and I could easily justify moving this just over three hundred. Like yeah. two ninety, two eighty to two ninety, I could absolutely see that. And I wouldn't be pissed at all. I love this record. And it's funny because when this record first came out, I thought it was like so Femi. And um, we used to use a three-letter word very flippantly when I was in high school that I won't repeat now because I think that it's like it's wrong to use that word that way. But that's what I would have called Siamese dream um, when I was in high school. But I was just, dude, I was stupid and I was wrong and I was a little kid. This record is phenomenally good. And yeah. it is just, man... Yeah. yeah, so good. Yeah, too low for me. Too but regardless, me. it belongs on the list for sure. And for me, it can move up a little bit. Um, I don't feel super strongly about it. I think it's already pretty high. You know, it is. But it is. Yeah. But I love to see it. I like. I love, love the recognition it of it. And yep. Yeah, I'm super thrilled for it. Let me read Rex real quick. Yeah. So Rex says, "Ah, yes, music from my teenage years. I haven't listened to this album in years." At the time, alt-rock was in its infancy of popularity. This album absolutely still holds up after all of these years. This album has the hits. Us Gen Xers remember Shara Brock today. The unexpected musical orchestration melodies to the perfectly delivered rasp in Billy Corgan's voice on Disarm. Ooh, yeah, shout out to Disarm. Great song. Mm -hmm. uh, love everything about this album. Love its place on the list, too. Nice. So, All right. So, do you want to preview next week? Yes, sir. All right. So, next week at number 340, we're going to be talking about the S-N-O-P-P-D-O-G-G-Y. Snoop Doggy Dogs, 1993 debut, Doggy Style. Hell yeah. Mm -hmm. I was reading that earlier, and I was making a face. Because <laughs> uh, I, I haven't previewed this at all. I'm reading these for the first time. 339 is Janet Jackson, Rhythm Nation, 1814. Smoking. 338. Ugh. God damn it. 338. We're going to listen to Brian Eno's record, Another Green World. You're not excited about that? No. I'm excited about it. I like Brian Eno. And I think this is this is funny because we were talking about, um, what album was it that Brian Eno was on? 
Roxy Music. Roxy. We were like, because we're not going to see Brian Eno on the list. We literally said that. You can fucking take that out of the podcast. Yeah. We said that specifically, and it turns out we are. Are you familiar with this record? No, but I like Brian Eno. I do, do you? Yes. Yeah, I'd be super curious to see what you think. I've already called you listen to it. it. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. Okay. Yep. That's why you feel the way you do. Okay. Yeah, sure do. All right. <laughs> is this is me. 337 yeah. is Bob Dylan, John Wesley Harding. Fuck yeah, Bob Dylan. And this is 1967, Bob Dylan. Yeah, early Fuck yeah, Bob dude. Dylan. This record, that record rocks. Uh, the last record we're going to talk about next week All Hail, coming All in hail at 336. Roxy. I'll Another fucking Roxy Music record. This one from 1982, Avalon, uh, because one... And may there be many more. <laughs> <laughs> what the fuck, man? <laughs> that, was, uh, that was a joke. Okay. We'll talk about this more next week. I have not done a cold listen to this yet because I didn't want to subject my ears um, to, <laughs> to any that. more Roxy Music yet. But here's the thing, like 336 is Avalon and I'm scrolling back up and I think it was 351 is where um, for your torture. For your pleasure. Yeah. What was that? Oh, for, oh, it's for your pleasure. It's pleasure, actually. Oh, pleasure. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. What the fuck, dude? Weird. Yeah. Um, you can say weird. <laughs> We will we'll talk about it once we listen to it. I haven't listened to it yet. I don't know. I sincerely hope that Avalon blows me away. Maybe it will. I hope it doesn't just blow. <laughs> blow <laughs> me away. Yep. All right, guys. We'll see you next week. Thank you all so much. Thank you all for listening, guys. We'll see you next time. Bye bye. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. This sucks. It sucks. I mean, it really does suck. Indeed. <laughs>